0: Welcome back to the Kielder Observatory podcast. I'm Ian Brannan and I'm joined by Director of Astronomy Dan Pye. Coming up in this month's episode, we'll take you to a couple of our recent sessions up at the observatory, but both with very different themes. First was our Space Kids event, which is one of our most popular events which takes place during the daytime and during the school holidays. It ends with youngsters building and launching their own rockets. Three, two, one,
1: four!
0: And then it was the turn of another of our most sought after evenings, the Aurora Night, where you can learn about the aurora phenomenon and discover how to see it for yourself. It's in
2: such a beautiful setting, the views are phenomenal. So that's one of my favourite highlights
1: of today.
0: We're also talking cosmology in this month's episode too, with Dr Sam James, who is chair of the Northeast branch of the Institute of Physics, finding out why we can still see the remnants of the Big Bang. The fact is, is that the The very last light given off by the Big Bang is actually imprinted on the night sky. All coming up in this month's Kielder Observatory podcast. Great to have you along with us once again. And uh, as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, Dan Pye, Director of Astronomy at the Kielder Observatory, joins us. Hi, Dan. Hello. So in this episode this month, we are going to bring you a flavour of what it's like to take in one of the many different um, sessions that you can join at Kielder Observatory. There's often different themes that run through them. And um, what we're going to take you to is one of the sessions that happened during the half term holidays, which was a double session, really, certainly for me and, and for everybody who was working there. But for the people visiting, there were uh, it's a daytime session, which was set up for kids, where we were launching rockets into space. Space and that was like a, a late afternoon tea time kind of event uh, and those events happened during the school holidays and then we had an aurora session where we we're learning more about the uh, the northern lights the aurora borealis what makes it up and why does it happen and um, how do you actually see it so uh, dan was present at both of those so we'll hear more from dan uh, when we actually um, play that for you in a little bit on to this month then well the, the last month has gone very well you've had your first full month of being back open and i know things are not a hundred percent back to normal but uh, at least you're getting people uh, there in person to the observatory to uh, to take part in sessions and have visitors along how has it gone so far
1: yeah it's gone great it's been amazing seeing people come back through the door and welcoming them uh, to to, to the place that we all love to be we love being at the observatory and our main motivation really for every staff member that we have is that we just love to talk about astronomy with that's that's the thing that keeps us going that's the thing that keeps us um, interested in our jobs and we all love to do our jobs because astronomy is not only just the thing that some of us studied but also our hobby our pastime and the thing that we read about and listen to so being able to share that with the general public and convey it in a fashion that is understandable and accessible for the general public has been Fantastic to get back to that again. And of course, to enjoy the the night sky from Kielder, even during the summertime. It's still, still light at Kielder during the summertime because, of course, we're tilted towards the sun and we experience uh, no real astronomical darkness at this time of year. But that doesn't really take away from the fact that you can see more still from Kielder with the naked eye than you could ever see from a populated area such as big cities like Newcastle or London and places like that.
0: I'm going to play some of the audio from what happens in these sessions and 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 how they go. But you have the a little bit of a chat first, a bit of a talk, and then it, there's a lot of time on telescopes and, and stargazing in general. What sort of sessions have you got coming up over the next month or so? Then through June into the start of July, that that people might be able to get on.
1: We're in very short supply. <laughs> um, there's um, more. Most of our later events are all are all completely booked out. Um, the remaining events uh, such as the cosmology the heavier topics if you like things like um, our dark universe which we run um, rarely throughout the month actually and that addresses the topic of things such as um, dark energy and dark matter and what are black holes and why are they so important and interesting to us and then we've got other subjects such as um, where the universe came from the origins of the universe event that addresses everything from the big bang up to the cosmological world web that we're able to see today so all of those events we still have very limited availability on but things such as aurora um, space kids events uh, late night dark skies and such like that i think we're pretty much booked for much of the year now so there's very very limited spaces available throughout the summer
0: you see, you've got to book early. Keep, keep your eye on the website. You never know. There might be some cancellations and stuff as well. So uh, do keep an eye on, on social media because that does uh, uh, happen from occasion. Um, that doesn't stop you yourself going to a dark location somewhere across the northeast or indeed anywhere. And uh, aside from the observatory, where, where's a good place to, to check out the night sky? We're going to give people a, an idea of the things that they can look out for over the next few weeks. But where would you recommend going if uh, if they can't uh, get a ticket at the moment to come up to the observatory? Observatory, where, where else is good?
1: There's some great dark sky locations around the northeast. We're very fortunate because everything is so spread out across the northeast, and being able to um, cut out horizontal light pollution is a real benefit for us. So if we go to places such as um, Derwent, Derwent Reservoir, Um, is a great place to go and and view the night sky. We've got a really good surrounding of trees, which blocks out much of the light pollution. You get a little bit of light pollution from concert, but the the southern sky from there is really, really great. Um, You've also got um, the beach as well. Don't forget, you can go to the beach and do some stargazing. It's a real great location to do a bit of stargazing, is the beach. And there's plenty of other larger parks when you start to cross into the Pennines um, and down into North Yorkshire where you can go to big expanses of really dark. Uh, areas away from light pollution essentially the, the the idea is to get away from light pollution the biggest place that you can go and do that is the 1500 square kilometers of the dark sky park in northumberland so you don't have to come to the observatory to witness that or to experience that you can come to any part of that park it is public access and still enjoy the night sky from anywhere in northumberland
0: Fantastic stuff. And so moving on to the next few weeks then, uh, through the second half of June into the first part of July, what, what are the things to look out for in the night sky? We mentioned, of course, that obviously we've got the lightest evenings now at uh, this time of year, but what are the astronomical events that we're looking for?
1: Um, well, the, this time of year, June, is is the peak of of. Daytime and nighttime, I guess, if you like. This is when we start to approach the summer solstice, when we approach the 21st of June. And that's when our north pole is orientated entirely towards the sun. Um, so that's when we experience the shortest night, if you like. So it's not a great time of year to see some really deep objects at this time of year. But it nevertheless is an incredible time of year to witness the phenomenon that is noctilucent clouds and i talk about these all the time they're bits of meteor dust in our atmosphere 60 miles up in our atmosphere and at this time of year the mesosphere where they're currently sat and been blown around by winds is incredibly cold cold enough that it creates these little ice crystals surrounding each little dust particle and these little particles of dust with the ice crystals are very reflective. So as our North Pole is pointing towards the sun, sunlight is able to skip through our atmosphere and illuminate these stunning cloud structures. And they happen usually between 10pm and 2am in the morning. They're stunning to see with the naked eye. It's one of those phenomena that when you see it on a camera, it looks very similar to how you see it with the naked eye. And what we're looking for is webby white and blue shimmering clouds across the northern horizon that appear to be illuminated in the night sky. You'll you'll notice they're very, very different to other clouds that you see at that time of night. Um, and they're just stunning to see because they're double the altitude as to the clouds that you would normally be able to see with the naked eye. Things like cumulonimbus clouds and big storm clouds, even anvil clouds, they reach to about 35, meter, uh, 35 miles. These ones are almost double the altitude of that all the way up there in the mesosphere. And it's space dust, so that's infinitely cooler as well. Um, yeah.
0: Space dust it- is always... Is always a, I, I remember seeing these myself last year, and they, they are... They're they're very noticeable. You you will know when you've seen one because it's weird in that it just looks like a normal high cloud, but it's illuminated and it's you know in the darkness or the twilight it just is Mm. shimmering. It's it is outstanding.
1: It's really great. And they change as well very slowly as you watch them. They're evolving and all tendril-like and webby and strange and they they just dance across the sky. They are my favourite thing to see in the summertime is Noctilucent clouds. And we get some really spectacular displays that we can see across the north of the UK.
0: Fantastic stuff. And uh, as we move on to our pie in the sky feature which is uh, something of which you're, you are synonymous with um, what, uh, what piece of sky are we looking at do you think um, in, in this, obviously you said that it's very difficult to, to see some stuff because of the, the fact that we've got the lighter evenings but if you're staying up a bit later what, what, what's the, the thing to watch out for or the, uh, the constellation to search for
1: so we've got um, a, a great asterism that I want to share with you. Now, an asterism isn't an official constellation across the night sky. Constellations, just to explain a little bit about what they are, they're um, dot-to-dot depictions of mythological uh, uh, creatures or beings or objects, which are usually linked to Roman or Greek mythology. For the ones that we can see here in the UK, there's 88 of them across the uh, across the skies, and the reason they exist now in that in that context is really just for referencing different patches of sky almost like building up an image of of how the the, the heavens look they had different meanings in the past um, but nowadays we just use them as a almost like grid reference system. Um, an asterism isn't an official constellation it's a a collection of stars which are in various different constellations or they may all be part of the same constellation which look like something uh, recognizable. And the one that we want to pick out this time is the Summer Triangle. Um, and we can see that by connecting three very bright stars. We've got uh, Deneb, um, which literally translates to, I'm told, bum um, in <laughs> modern-day English. It's in the, it's in the bum of, uh, of the constellation of Cygnus. So it's a bright star called Deneb. And we've got another one which is called Vega, and then another one which is called um, Altair. Now, if you connect all three of those together, you'll see it creates this gigantic triangle in the sky that points almost perfectly south. And as we start to swing through into peak summertime, that'll reach the central point of our sky at midnight. Um, And it's just a great thing to keep an eye out for because this was an ancient object used or an ancient asterism used um, to to distinguish what season it was, when there was no way of being able to track calendar systems and things were a little bit stranger back 2,000, 3,000 years ago. They would look for objects such as this to calculate the passage of time, and I think it's just nice to, to have a look at those objects still today.
0: So that's in the eastern sky, is that right? You look east and you should be able to see that.
1: East from about 10 o'clock at the moment, yeah, um is probably the best time to to see that, but it'll start to swing through into midnight uh until it's right above our heads or right down towards the southeast south
0: Asterism's then your challenge on pie in the sky for this month. Good luck with that. let us know how you get on as well and see if you see any of those. This is the Kielder Observatory podcast. Still to come in this month's episode, as Dan was mentioning, one of the sessions that you can book onto over the course of the summer explores the origins of the universe and talking about dark matter and black holes and all these kind of things. And we're going to speak to Dr. Sam James, who is the chair of the Northeast branch of the Institute of Physics a little bit later in this episode to find out a little bit more about that topic and find out about the mysteries of the universe that even the experts are quite confused about. So that's still to come. First, though, let's give you a flavour of what it's like to attend one of the Kielder Observatory events. If you've never been before, imagine that you're right at the top of the hill. You've gone two miles up a dirt track and you're in one of the most remote locations that you could possibly find yourself. And you've got some state-of-the-art telescopes to gaze deeply into space and we've got two particular events on Space Kids which is uh, designed for kids in the school holidays to learn more about the wonders of space do a bit of stargazing even in the daytime and make a rocket as well and um, and then we had the Aurora session which was uh, in the evening which is one of the most popular events that Kielder does and I caught up with Dan in his natural habitat. What we're doing today is we're taking in two sessions because you're doubling up during the course of the, the school holidays and it's still very firmly daylight it's about six o'clock in the evening the sun is shining it's the hottest day of the year officially and um, not many stars to be seen currently but you do have sessions for kids that are happening and just tell us what sort of things that you do in these sessions
1: yeah, so it's really good actually being here on a day when it is beautiful weather like this, where we get to see the sun. Because, of course, that is our closest star to us. So we can see that through our, our special telescopes. We always used to say the same thing of, uh, about our telescopes is that we think we might have the largest solar filter in the north. Uh, We've got a 16-inch solar filter for our telescope, so we're able to look at the sun, and there's some sunspots on there at the moment as well. So they're doing that in the 16-inch observatory right now. Um, Then we also have another telescope, which is looking at stars as well. We can see some stars at this time of year. We can see um, a really bright star called Arcturus, which um, NAS is looking at right now, which is about 37 light-years away. So even in the daytime, we can still see something that's 37 light-years away. So it's not... Um, it's not a bad time to come and, and do some stargazing. There's always stargazing we can do, uh, but the the priority of this event really is to uh, is to launch rockets, and that's what we'll be doing at the at the end of the event. We've got some bottle rockets which we're launching. So you say it's not rocket science, but really it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, rocket science is the end thing that we're doing today. Um, Which is dead easy. I mean, we make it sound like it's really complicated rocket science, but it's not. It's just about creating enough downward thrust to make something go up, which is actually really, really hard. (laughs) (laughs) So that's the
0: session that's happening today. And then later, um, you have a session for when things do get dark. And um, the theme this evening is that that old chestnut, the Aurora, not that we're planning on necessarily seeing the Aurora. That's not something you can really plan for. And I know that we've said that this current uh, period of time is not the strongest for it, but it's certainly about learning about how to see it.
1: Yeah, that's it, yeah. And we do get to see it in Northumberland a few times a year. Um, and these these events, these aurora events, are our most popular events. People love the aurora. They love the idea of being able to see the aurora. They love the the mystical qualities that it has as well, the way that it looks. It's beautiful. It's one of the most incredible earthbound sciences that we have. But then, would we call it an earth science? Because really it's influenced by something which is outside of our planet, stuff that's taking place in, in space, a space weather, if you like. Um, so we'll be learning about that a little bit later on tonight. Also, um, during this time of year, there is other stuff to see as it gets a little bit later. Um, we're able to still do stargazing and we can see some great stars. And to be honest, even even coming to the Northumberland National Park, being away from light pollution in the summertime, you can still see more stars than you could see in a populated area anyway. Um, uh, so we'll see some stars later on. We'll do some stargazing, some co- uh, constellation hunting um, we'll also look at some probably slightly deeper objects because we haven't got a moon in the sky until quite later tonight. So we might just be able to pick out some star clusters, double stars uh, towards the end of the event. But this season, it, I'm always hoping to see noctilucent clouds. That's what, that's what I'm looking for uh, during the summertime is, is those glowing clouds across on the northern horizon, which are formed by meteor dust. Uh, lingering around in, in the upper atmosphere they're spectacular so hopefully we'll see some of those tonight as well this is the way that they go so down here where our cap is that's where we're going to attach it to a pole and it'll head up just like that you can create a nose cone for it if you wish or you can leave it flat it's entirely up to you. Aerodynamics is something which you may learn during this experience, <laughs> um, and try and keep this bottom area completely open. So we don't want anything covering this bottom area at all. Everything on the top is absolutely fine.
2: Come on, guys! Five,
1: four, four three,
2: two, I'm Rob, we're from uh, near Chorley in Lancashire. You've been learning about rockets
0: and all sorts of stuff, how's it been for you?
2: Yeah, yeah, we brought the kids up for the, the weekend and uh, just, yeah, trying to get, introduce them to science a little bit, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I mean, we, we watch some of the rockets on the, on the telly, well, well, Elon Musk stuff, so yeah, quite interested in the, at the moment. So yeah, the kids are sort of showing an interest in science, and so yeah, really interested to kind of see what's out there, really.
0: Uh, they, they've enjoyed it, so looking through the telescopes, asking lots of questions. And, and building your own rocket, which has been like the finale of this uh, event, really, and uh, we've, we've finally got the rocket launcher working <laughs> and they're firing off uh, pretty well. Yeah, they've they've enjoyed it and the rockets have survived. So, uh, yeah, really good, great to see. And how have the kids found it? Had a good time. What's your name?
3: Jessica. Okay,
0: Jessica. And what was your favourite bit?
3: Um where we get to make our own rockets and see um the sun through a skeletoscope.
0: Um, oh yeah because you you were able to look at the sun here weren't you? Yeah. And what could you see?
3: Um you could the, it's actually most people think it's orange but it's not actually it's white. Yeah.
0: How did your rocket go because you I think yours was the first wasn't it? How did it end up?
3: Well it ended up um, being rich because it didn't land um, like my brother did. It didn't like land like that. Mine went downwards it and it <laughs> broke.
0: It the left half of its uh, body on, on yeah. the pad, didn't it? <laughs> but it, it it flew. That's the main thing. It did flew, but it
3: didn't go very well. It
0: was fine. Brilliant. Yeah. Good stuff. You had fun though, didn't you? Yeah. And uh, now are you, are you going to be more interested in, in learning more about rockets and space and the sun and things afterwards?
2: Yeah. My favorite part of today has been learning all of the bits about space and the rockets and, and seeing the moon, rock, uh, the space rocks. But above anything else, even if you didn't get to see any of that, like today's a really sunny day, it's in such a beautiful setting. The views are phenomenal. So that's one of my favorite highlights of today.
1: So come on, guys, five, four. Four. Three, two,
0: one. So that's the space kids session. As you can hear, some uh, some very happy kids there blasting their rockets into space. The, my favourite was the rocket that blasted off, and the, uh, the they decorate the bottle and. You make it look like a rocket to so wrap some tin foil around it, whatever you want to do, and the rocket blasted off. But everything that they decorated the the the, the actual bottle with just stayed on the launch pad, and completely left behind. Fantastic. Um, and then from uh, later in the evening, from nine o'clock till about midnight, it was an aurora session. And uh, the aurora sessions are particularly popular at Kielder. Always get booked up, as you were saying earlier. Very very popular indeed. Tell us about the format of the event because there's uh, a bit of a talk beforehand for about an hour or so which really gives people an insight into the science bit behind it and explains the origins of the aurora the history of it and um, and all that kind of thing as well so people have a full understanding
1: yeah, that's it. And with all the events that we do, we always have this little educational part because sometimes ultimately that's what we are. We're an educational facility. People come to learn a little bit more about astronomy, learn a little bit more about the night sky um, and all of these different topics. And so the Aurora is our most popular by far event that we do because um, I think it's such a spectacular thing to see, particularly when we see it on social media, these incredible images of the Aurora. It really sparks people in, people's interest in in, well, what is it? Why do we get it? Can we see it from Kielder? Can we see it from the UK? Why is it happening here on Earth? And does it happen all of the time? Um, And so we address all of those questions and make sure we give you a comprehensive guide as to what the aurora is, how you can view it for yourself and why we get it at particular times of year. And in particular... Um, eras as well because it's not that it happens the same every year it goes through a secret cycle which we unveil during this event as well so here's a flavor of one of those sessions now this is Naz who's
0: explaining uh, a bit of the aurora
4: the history of the aurora to begin with
2: there's lots of different theories that they had about the northern lights about what they might have been so the french actually thought that they were a bad omen um, because they had some pretty bright aurora in the sky that managed to make it down all the way to France right before the French Revolution. So because that happened after they thought that it was a, it was a sign that something bad was going to happen.
0: It's uh, quarter past ten at night, it's just about getting dark. Uh, I'm with Dan, Director of Astronomy and he's pointing at a star that I can't actually see. I think you've got, I think you've got gamma ray eyes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm not sure they're gamma ray. I think what it's up we know uh, it's the knowing the patch of sky that the stars in, but we can see just just up there. There's, right. there's a little tiny flickering red point of light, and that there's the star Arcturus. It's pretty bright. Oh, I see it. Can you see it? Yeah, I can, can see, you see it, it now. I can, can you see it. it? There it is. It's good, isn't it? Um, so well, that's, there that's, it is. That's Thirty-seven light years away, that star that you've seen there, and it's really really bright because it's a huge red giant star. It's very similar to, I guess, what our star might start to look like in a good four billion years' time or so.
0: So that was a bit of us doing some some freestyle stargazing, I guess you'd say, just looking up at the night sky, which is a huge part of what... Uh, happens at Kielder Observatory, especially when you're on a clear night like like it was. It was beautiful. We could see all sorts of stars as they started to come out. And then to the observatories themselves and to the telescopes and to see what we can see deeper in space. So that was us doing a bit of freestyle stargazing um, on a break, actually, just as the stars were starting to come out. And then after the initial talk, it was time to head to the telescopes and to the observatories and see what we could see deeper into space. And And as it gets darker and darker, different things become more visible and this was with natasha who was in the sir patrick moore observatory which is the the, the largest of the observatories at uh, kielder and uh, here's what happened and here's what we could see
3: so at the moment we're in the so sir patrick was... moore observatory which is one of our observing turrets this is where we're going to use the 16 inch reflecting telescope to have a look at bright stars and binaries and then later some deep space objects now it's really easy to find objects with this telescope i point on the software i click and it does its thing And then I have to move the roof. (laughs) So can you see just out of the doors there? Directly overhead pretty much. There's a bright orange star. That's the dude we're going for. So have a little look, called Albireo. This uh, optical binary, so it's not a true binary, which is two stars that are orbiting each other. This optical binary is 350 and 410 light-years away, respectively. So those are the two distances of the stars.
0: Incredible to see these stars through this eyepiece, seeing that light. (laughs) It's absolutely mind-blowing. And these are stars that you just wouldn't see were you not in a dark sky park. And I'm looking up now through the open doors of the observatory and the stars are starting to come out. It's incredible looking back in time, really, to galaxies that... Four hundred and fifty light years away and and that that light's been traveling through space for all that time since queen elizabeth was was on the throne, <laughs> so much has happened in that time that light's been traveling just to get to my eye that day um the other thing that uh, is is great to be able to do on a nice clear night is just just look up at the night sky and just see the constellations that are there laid out before you and dan i know you've you've got a laser pen and you 're able to point at these, and that 's quite incredible to see that you can just point. Skywards like that and just uh, just talk through people through the night sky
1: and that's to be honest my favorite thing to do is uh in stargazing is to just use a laser pointer and just navigate around the sky when we get into the real depths of winter there's objects that you can see with the naked eye which uh i mean you can see the andromeda galaxy with the naked eye that's two and a half million light years away um being able to point that out to guests and show them that um with our laser pens is is phenomenal um, and all of the different constellations, when you see them on the sky, they look very different to how you would imagine them on the screen as well. So I think it's a real important part of the event is to just gaze at the the expanse of all of these stars and try to make imagery around them that helps you um, develop a, a, an understanding of the structure of the night sky.
0: Well, as we were doing that, as we were just doing some freestyle stargazing, caught up with a few of the guests who were with us that evening at Keelder Observatory.
1: Jack?
3: Pauline and uh, Lara are from Ramsbottom in very near Greater
0: Manchester. So what brings you to to Kielder then tonight?
3: uh, I
2: went a few years ago and had to come again, really. It's just amazing, isn't it? I really enjoy uh, stargazing when I can at home, but because cities are quite built up and it's very hard to actually get a view of anything without a lot of driving and quite heavy telescopes which there's a lot of here, so it's really amazing to get the chance to see these things. It's yeah. fantastic to say. It's things. funny how much
3: more of the sky you can see somewhere that's not light polluted than you know. It makes a massive difference. Just travelling that little bit extra you can see. It looks like a different sky.
2: Yeah, I wish I brought my camera and do some long exposures. <laughs> yeah. But I mean I'm fifty nine and I can remember as a child being able to see the dust clouds, you know, in the arms of, of the Milky Way from my back door. That's impossible now, isn't it? Oh.
3: Whereas I've never really had that. I'm I'm 18, so I've kind of had holidays camping in in places that are slightly less light polluted star. than like Greater Manchester. But I've never seen somewhere with protected darkness like this, and it's just like you just stare at it for as long as you wanted to. <laughs> It's It's really different.
0: And it's always changing as well, you know, as the night goes on, things move around. and 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 it's good tonight, I suppose, because there's no moon, which helps, Mm -hmm. uh, of course. And what other other things have you seen with the telescopes as well? The Cigar Galaxy. The Cigar
3: Galaxy was the furthest thing we saw. um, I think it was a bit easier to see because rather than the disk facing us, it was sort of the side profile. So, Yeah. Um, that was, it, was really impressive. He called it the fuzzy wuzzy what was it? The fuzzy wuzzy Oreo galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> nebula. It, it was ring uh, nebula. yeah, it, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. I think yeah. it was a star that was. It
2: was the ring nebula. Yeah. yeah. It looked somewhat like a like a chair, didn't and it? And some
3: closer, brighter stars as well. Um, I didn't realise that every star has, or almost every star has planets around it. I had absolutely XL no idea planets. about that. Yeah. I thought they were literally just stars. That's something new. It's just crazy, isn't it?
2: The the sky park is amazing. The... It's really, like, nowhere else, especially in this country, anyway. Mm. Yeah. We've got Um, to come back in the winter. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah,
3: you were saying the time of year was sort of affecting what you can see and what you can't. Unfortunately,
2: the position of the planets and... It's the scale of things. Like, you look at things in a telescope but it's a pinprick and that's 12 million light years away. Impressive. Yeah. I know. It's, it's, it's that That's the most mind-blowing part of it all for me. Just the the idea that you're seeing things, that when the light actually happened with this with what was happening on Earth at the time, when the light was new, uh, intelligent life on the planet was so primitive. Mm-hmm. It's, that whole concept is mind-blowing. And what you're looking at might not be there now. Yeah. 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 For all we know, Beetlejuice might have already exploded.
0: Good <laughs> <laughs> well have done. As you can hear, some very happy visitors and a little flavour of how the sessions go at Kilda Observatory. If you'd like to book your spot, head online kildaobservatory.org. Now, at Kielder Observatory, we have um, a talk that happens every now and again through the course of the year called Origins of the Universe. It's next due to happen at the end of July. And it asks the big questions, really, about life, the universe, and everything. How did we find ourselves here? And we're going to talk about that a little now with Dr. Sam James, who is a leading scientist and an expert on all things to do with cosmology and the origins of the universe themselves. In fact, he's the chair of the Northeast branch of the Institute of Physics and knows a fair bit about it. And let's uh, hear more about Dr. Sam now from, from Dan Pye, Director of Astronomy. And, and Dr. Sam is, is one person who has actually been up to Kielder Observatory over the past years to, to deliver talks on this very subject.
1: Yeah, Dr. Sam is, um, is a great friend and uh, I've known him for quite uh, quite some years now and he's an incredibly profound um, chap to talk to. He's a, a, a quantum theorist or a PhD in quantum theory, um, which is always an incredibly complex and interesting subject of stuff that nobody really understands. Him himself will even say, I don't understand quantum theory and I have a PhD in it. Um, so anybody who understands quantum theory or who says they do um, is probably overconfident and lying, I would say. (laughs) Um, So he's an incredible uh, wealth of information. He does a lot of public engagement. He used to volunteer at the Kielder Observatory. He's now a freelancer at the Kielder Observatory. So he'll be popping up um, and doing some talks very, very soon. But you can find him also doing these events that are called Pint of Science events, um, which have stopped during COVID, of course, but I'm sure they'll return very, very soon, where you can go and have a pint and discuss some cosmology. What more would you want for? With you evening.
0: So cosmology is a very deep subject. So there is a lot of stuff to go through, and um, as Dan mentioned, there that the answers are are still not entirely there. One question that's posed amongst cosmologists is about the theory of everything, which is a hypothetical framework explaining all known physical phenomena in the universe. And whilst we have some answers about what happens in the universe they don't all necessarily tie together. So that's what we're actually searching for and that is the ultimate question about the answers to everything in the universe explained in one theory. The theory of everything. So, we'll start by asking Dr. Sam James, how close are we to getting to that moment? It sometimes seems like
4: physics has moved relatively slowly since the heady years of 1905 when Einstein came up with general relativity and prove the existence of atoms and then things seemed to move very quickly through the, the 20s until we uh, when we got um, um, quantum, me- quantum mechanics sorted out. Um, the problem that we've had with gravity has been persistent for about 90 years now, well actually no, 100 years now. Um, when we might actually get cleared up? I mean, it would, again, it can move very quickly once, if we have the right breakthrough, if we get the right piece of data, then possibly it could all be sorted out in 10 years, maybe, about the same amount of time it took for Einstein to come up with the original theory of general relativity. But I think at the moment, it doesn't look likely that anything particularly massive is coming down the line. We've only had five years of uh, since the first detection of gravitational waves. Um, that isn't very much data. New data have come in quite yet.
0: What else can we learn uh, on that front about how the universe is is, is always ever-evolving and this infinite um, space is is actually increasing in size? Well, actually, one of the interesting things there is is the question of is the universe
4: actually infinite, which may actually have a couple of... Um, which may actually affect whether we have the ability to actually produce the, the true theory of everything. Um, obviously, the universe that we can see, the observable universe is about, well, we'll say it's 13 billion light years across, which is basically how long it has been for the light to have actually reached us. Um, and as you look out into space, you also obviously look back in time. So, um, the Andromeda galaxy is about two and a half million light years away, which means that when you look at it, it's about two and a half million, uh, where well, you're seeing it about as it was two and a half million years ago. And then as we look out further, we actually see all the way back to basically the, the afterglow of the Big Bang, which is a pro- very approximately 13 billion years ago. Uh, but we can't see past that because there's just not been enough time light to travel um any further but that doesn't mean that that is the whole of the universe it could be that the universe is in fact an infinite infinite in extent or it could be that it has some sort of finite size and that's actually an open question in cosmology i believe
1: you know, there's one thing that really plagues me with with all of the theoretical points and all of the, the research and stuff that we do into all of these questions. And the, the biggest thing that, that that I always find as a stumbling block is, do we reach a point whereby we understand so much that we kind of lose sight of new discovery? Is that possibly what's, what's holding us back? Are we so transfixed on what we do know that we're kind of not really thinking about what we don't know?
4: I think that definitely is uh, a um a very good point actually uh, i was actually uh, alluding to the fact that um if you actually look in certain branches of maths now i have to be a little careful here because uh, i'm gonna have to generalize but generally speaking there is actually in mathematics a proof that there can be statements which are true which we cannot actually prove which does on the face of it produce a bit of a problem because obviously the the part of physics is built on maths and if there are statements in maths that are true that we can't prove it seems difficult to see how we could ever actually form the theory of everything there is one caveat to this which is the more correct statement is there are things that can be true which cannot be proved in the framework that they are stated so that's actually where the infinite nature of the universe comes into it because if you can um we get round the problem by um there can be statements which are true but then we invent new mathematics to make uh, to prove those statements and then that produces a whole new set of statements which we can't prove and then we can create more mathematics to do it and if we can ever and if you can ever expand your knowledge then it's not a problem um, and this would come into the idea that the if the universe was finite, then perhaps there's some amount of finite knowledge we could have.
0: And are there theories that you absolutely subscribe to and, and 100% believed were fact and, and made sense and, and, you know, you subscribe to those? And then actually some further research comes out that changes that belief and maybe disproves well-held theories and... And really, you have to start right from, the, from scratch with understanding some parts of the universe. I
4: don't know. Actually, what we, one of the small problems actually is that we haven't disproved all that much. Um, obviously, I mean, the last big uh, discovery for us theoretical physicists was the Higgs boson. Uh, so that was roughly theorised in about 1960s-ish. Uh, And obviously only discovered about uh, 10 years, well, seven or so years ago. But the thing was, it was discovered. um, And that part of the theory was proved. Um, There have been a couple of roadblocks thrown up um, in the theory of everything. Um, In the late 90s, it was hypothesized that the proton should be able to decay. But we've never actually uh, detected it. So that's left us with a bit of a hole in the theory. But mainly, when the theory predicts something, um, or at least the mainstream theory predicts something, we do actually normally go and find it, which I think is truly, is actually the really amazing thing that um, we predict these things long ahead of when we actually discover them. And of course, there must have been a point. Uh, so in the early history of science, it was much more the other way around we would observe an effect and then the theorists would have to spend a lot of time coming up with the correct theory for how it actually works. I mean, you know, um, even if you think we're playing around by throwing balls around long before Newton told us there was such a thing as a force, Mm -hmm. for instance, Yeah, Um, you know, uh, the, the, um, even the, um, the astronomers had been uh, looking at the planets for a long time before, even before um, gravity and you know, Newton came up with gravity, and certainly a long time before uh, Einstein came up with the theory of general relativity, which replaced it. Uh, and then these days, uh, we dis- we predict the Higgs boson 50 odd years before it's actually discovered. And similarly, we predicted that um, uh, quantum mechanics predicted things like uh, the ability to harness the energy in an atom long before, well, A couple of decades before we actually managed it. Um, So I always wonder when the first first time in uh, science history is that a prediction occurred before the evidence or the data that came in to actually show that it could actually exist.
0: Something that um, I, I saw being discussed actually um, over the last couple of weeks was a, a, a very good question that I didn't really have an answer because it was just a couple of people that I know that were discussing it. But we we talk about um, the, the planets and the solar system that we know of moves and rotates is we're talking about the universe expanding is is there any evidence to suggest that the universe itself is is moving around in some way or indeed the whole thing rotates is 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 that something that's ever been um, Um, looked at and discovered actually
4: that's that's a very interesting question whether the universe actually moves is a little bit um That's an open question, because then you'd have to work out whether you believe the universe exists in some bigger universe, i.e. a multiverse. However, um, we do know exactly which direction and how fast we are moving in the universe. Which has always actually always really surprised me. Uh, Maybe this is actually... um, maybe this is actually the most surprising thing I've ever found, which is, um, so there's the cosmic microwave background radiation, which is the afterglow of the Big Bang. So it's all around us, and we can actually measure the fact that we know which way, you know, basically, if you look at, if you could, if you could see the cosmic microwave background, it would light up the entire sky. But what you would then notice is... Uh, if you could look up into the night sky, that some of it would be colder or bluer and, some of the, and the other half of the sky, night sky would be redder and hotter. Um, and that is actually because we are moving in the cosmic microwave background and we can actually tell which direction. Yeah, so basically where, where it looks red and it's red shifted we're moving away from that part of the night sky And where it's uh, blue and uh, blue shifted, we're moving towards that part of the night sky. And then we can actually tell how the Earth is moving around the sun. And then we can tell how the sun is moving around um, the galactic centre and so on and so forth. So we can actually sort of pick apart how all the relative motions add together to give us the overall motion in um, in the galaxy. And it would also seem like the entire galaxy, yes is probably is rotating.
0: and I think it's quite staggering for people who are not um, quantum physicists to, to hear that so many million years down the line that the the after effects of the big bang are still echoing through space now
4: yes um, that is actually another um, when i was when I was studying cosmology that was another uh, big revelation, which I was very surprised at. but yes, um, the fact is is that the the very last light given off by the Big Bang is actually imprinted on the night sky, um, so it's known as the microwave cosmic background radiation. And uh, you can you can Google a lovely picture of it, which is uh, basically discussed, uh, often referred to as a map of the universe, because um, it just shows the slight variation in the colour or the temperature of the, uh, the the final light that was released which has now been, uh, due to the expansion of the universe, it was let off as light. But as the universe expanded, it's been pulled out until it's now in the microwave spectrum. So you can't actually see the, the afterglow with the human eye. Um, and yeah, uh, the colder spots or the bluer spots in the map would show areas which were colder and denser and therefore will formed into galaxies and such like. The hotter areas, will have, uh, which were less dense, will probably be the void between, um, which is the way in which it is actually a true map of the universe.
0: That's Dr Sam James, who is the chair of the North East branch of the Institute of Physics, talking a little bit about cosmology and the wonders and the mysteries of the fabric of the universe, which is something that uh, even... The, uh, the best scientists are still learning much more about on a daily basis and uh, we have a, a session coming up at the end of July called The Origins of the Universe where you'll find out more about that kind of subject. Check out kielderobservatory.org for more information. And that's it for this month. Enjoy your stargazing wherever it takes you and uh, enjoy the night sky. Don't forget to find out more about everything that's happening at Kilda Observatory. Firstly, there's the website, which is Kielder Observatory. and uh, you can also head on to our social media channels as well Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, the lot you can check them out just search for Kielder Observatory follow us on there for regular updates of what's happening and indeed details of any spaces that do become available on any of the upcoming sessions as well in the meantime, take care have a great month and we'll be back soon with another episode of the Kielder Observatory podcast